Uh, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 45, and I'd just like to look at a few verses together. And before we do that, um, I was driving up Kirkendall Road, and it's just a little north of where you and Bud live, and there's a HEB, um, HEB, there's like this little creekside area, and um, you're driving up Kirkendall, and I don't know if you've noticed, I'm sure you have, but as we get closer to Christmas, it seems like the, the faster people are driving, and the more urgent, and the more annoying, and the more <laughs> out of their minds people become in the way they are driving in their cars, and, um, and I'm, I was driving, just driving up Kirkendall Road, and and um, just amazed at, um, and then also amazed at how I drive as a Yankee here in Texas. But um, so I'm not innocent in this matter. But I'm driving up the road. I'm gonna, I, you know, everything I'm saying tonight, I'm preaching at myself first. Okay, just know that. But as I'm driving up, and the whole message is going to be about how we drive. No, but I, I'm, I'm driving up Kirkendall, and I'm, and it's just like you know, somebody, somebody does something weird, and. And you're like, and you're just kind of, there's this angst inside of you and, and like you're a little bit on the edge and, and um, you know, your hand is right there in the horn ready to, to use the horn. And, and I'm driving up there and I'm thinking, you know, what is wrong with people, you know? And as I'm driving and, and you just see people are just freaked out. They're anxious. Um, and this is a time that's really hard for a lot of people in December. December is a hard month for people because... Our culture projects a certain philosophy, a religious philosophy of Christmas that projects on people a burden that none of us can bear. It projects something that, that it, is a, um, it is a lifestyle, it is a way of celebration, it, it is an exaltation of important things that are made important in the world system that we live in that are not necessarily something that you and I can bear and that we can't bear it. And we begin to see this in our neighborhoods in so many ways. And as I'm driving up, I'm coming around the little corner there uh, before you hit the HEB parking lot. There's a big sign there, big letters. And it says, jolly, (laughs) big red letters. Have you guys seen that? It's just jolly, you know, like J-O-L-L-Y. And I think the O is a present or something, but it just says jolly. And I'm like thinking, what's that? It's a wreath. It's okay, there's a, yeah, okay. And, um, and I'm thinking like, you know, I just felt like just a slap in the face, you know, like I'm not feeling so jolly right now at all. <laughs> and what is wrong with me? I'm a bad person. I should be, everybody should be happy. And Christmas music and Christmas lights and jolly. I'm not jolly. And I was actually kind of um, really not jolly at all. I was just kind of anxious and, and I was, and I was actually, it felt like, and I just had this weird feeling, it never happened before, but I felt like, um, and I hope this makes sense, but I felt like in one way that this, this Christmas decoration was mocking me. I felt mocked by it because I didn't feel jolly in my heart. I don't feel jolly all the time. And I looked at it and it was projecting at me something and projecting at all the crazy drivers on Kirkendall that this is an attitude that nobody has right now because, because of the season that we're in. And I began to start thinking, and I began to think, and it just stirred me up, um, that we live in a world, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, a world of systems, systems that were created by man that 
cannot be born by men and that every system always creates a reactionary system. So you have a system that in even religious systems, economic systems, social systems, justice systems that nobody can bear. And there is the reaction to that system and there's that reaction, just like in the communist movement, we lived, my wife and I were living in a communist country for 11 years doing missions work uh, that was rife area for a black market. The more you try to clamp down on, on things, the more they're, they're, the flesh is gonna find a way to thrive and function. And because the communist or whatever the system that we try to, that tries to clamp down on on an individual or on a nation, the more it tries to clamp down, the more loopholes people are going to find because it's an imperfect fallen system. So we, know all, we all know where communism went. But the point I'm making is, is that we live in a system where it is projecting something that is supposed to be happening in your life, but the more it projects it at you, the, the less you find of it jolly, merry, you know, and it's just not there. And I think this is what people are discovering on a, on a personal uh, level in their soul. Uh, three times a year, what, we, what we've tried to do is, is we just go out on this app called Nextdoor, and it's like a Facebook for um, neighborhoods. It's usually where people go to complain about neighbors' dogs barking and people parking in the wrong place and uh, people stealing stuff and lost dogs. And, um, you know, in March when COVID started and we had all that lockdown that was going on, we were doing uh, online services, which was the, one of the most frustrating things I think I've ever done in my life. And, um, and, and, and Colton and Lizzie can attest to that because they, the uh, <laughs> they had the firsthand view of my pastoral frustration and with technology. But I remember we were in that we were in that um, lockdown and I was wondering like, look, we moved to Texas. Uh, we're here to minister, to do ministry, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And here we are stuck in our houses. What are we doing here? And I remember going on next door looking for something for my son. And as I was going through uh, the next door app, um, you know, you could just start seeing people posting prayer requests. Please pray for my, my husband. Uh, he lost his job, stage four cancer this and that and all of this travesty going on and you could really see uh, that there was a lot of brokenness in neighborhoods and so my wife and I uh, as I was reading that the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart like this is where I want you to be a missionary right now in your neighborhood during this time when uh, you can't really go out and do much and so we posted on on next door and we said my wife and I are taking prayer walks for our neighborhood if you'd like us to pray for you, just post here or inbox us pr- privately. To my surprise, we had hundreds of responses in just two weeks. And I did that again just uh, last week, uh, right at the beginning or a week and a half ago, right at the beginning of um, December. And I, and I wrote this, December is a hard month for a lot of people. Um, and I just kind of wrote a, a short thing that... Um, my wife and I will be doing prayer walks, and you don't have to go through this alone. Um, comment here of what we can be praying for or also inbox us. And just in seven days, we have almost 200 responses. And this is in the Augusta Pines and this whole 70 neighborhoods all around that area. And I was just thinking about 
the brokenness where you find people that well, you have a culture where we are projecting on people joy and family and friends and giftings and, and um, uh, really cozy life and snow everywhere, which I, I don't get it in Texas. Like Santa's, you know, it just, it's, this is such a, a state of paradoxes. It's so interesting. We've got Santa and a sleigh, you know, on, a, on somebody's front yard and there's like no snow here. Like, I don't get that. It's, it's just cool. It's fun. It's, it's fun to imagine. And it's, yeah, it's like, you know, so we live in this system where it's projecting things on us and therefore we don't feel so jolly when we are supposed to be feeling jolly. And, and I'm making this point is, is that Christmas talks a lot about happiness, but it can't deliver. It cannot deliver happiness. The world system outside of God cannot give something even though it projects it at people. It cannot make you and I jolly and it cannot make you and I merry. So what the world does it's because the world is a system of counterfeits, good counterfeits and bad counterfeits. It'll project to you and I, this is the way to be happy. This is the way to be fulfilled. This is the way to be satisfied. This is the way to live. This is the way to do what you want to do and, and, get, and get fulfilled. And you know something? To be single these days, to be single, to be a single person, uh, whether you're divorced or you're single and never married or, or whatever state you're in, if you're not married today, uh, you have every day on a... On a continuum, married people too. I, I shouldn't uh, shouldn't leave us out. Every day you have the world's propositions of what a single person's life should look like, and if you're not doing this, and if you're not doing that, and if you're not on Facebook showing all these great pictures of you and your your significant other, or if you even don't even have one, and it looks like you know it looks like if you're not doing that, then you must be some undesirable, uh, unlovely, and unpopular person. We have today given too much joy and too much significance to a social media platform, to a, to a system that, that cannot guarantee us the true understanding of our significance as an individual. Amen? We, and I, I, okay, I say that, but I'm posting on Instagram things that I want people to rejoice over. I put, you know, like, hey, this is what we're doing as a church. And it's like we have to continually check our hearts to make sure that I'm not deriving what I sense that I need a self-significance as a creature that God has created from anything outside of the word of God. Uh, The second thing is this, is that joy, I'm sorry, jolly and folly and merriness. These are words that we hear in the Christmas season. It's it's celebrated, it 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 is exalted, but it's not something that this world can ever deliver. And so what happens? We try to deliver it to ourselves. We seek, we seek this. We are looking for it. There is this ever, it's even in our constitution, the pursuit of happiness. Okay, there is this human sense of pursuit. And this is something that cannot be given outside of God. I want to look at a verse together with you. Without long introduction, I just want to give you this verse, Psalm 45, verse 7. And listen to this, okay? You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Now, some people, can, some are saying that this is a um, pointing to Jesus Christ, but I think it's also pointing to you and I as the believer, the child of God. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Okay, what's wickedness? Okay, wickedness is any type of acting out the vain imaginations of our mind. 
And what's a vain imagination? Any thought that is outside of what the word of God is sharing with us, speaking to us what God's mind is. And that's what lust is. Lust is anytime I'm thinking, I'm wanting something that maybe God has in his plan for me, but the timing is not right now. Lust is wanting something now that God may have for me in the future, but I want it now, my way. Okay, it may be a godly desire. I want to have a mate. I want to have a companion. I want to have a job. I want to have a career. I want to, I want to have this sense of significance. And wanting that outside of, the, of, of, of surrendering to God and allowing God to deliver that to us in his timing. And so wickedness is, it's this big word. And it's a probably word that you only hear in church <laughs> or when you read your Bible. Wickedness is one of these King James, King James words that means this. It just means I'm acting out the deceitfulness or the fallen nature that I have, wanting something that the system's projecting at me that I don't have, and I'm acting it out my way to get it. There's a, I remember when I was, in, uh, when I was a, a kid, I think I was eight or nine, nine years old, and I was living in Massachusetts in a small town outside of Boston, and there is a small congregational church there. It was called West Medway Congregational Church. And I believe it's still there. I looked them up on Facebook and they're still there. And it's this beautiful, small, old church. And it's where um, it was a very, it was a universal salvation type of teaching where everybody's going to be saved. And there was no messages on hell or anything like that. And it was just a do good kind of a church. And I remember one day a, a group came in and they were just doing this Christian the- theater. The pastor wasn't there. I don't know where he was. And uh, they did these Christian theater on the topic of salvation. At the end, they gave an altar call. And they said, if you'd like to pray to receive Christ, uh, come upstairs to what they called the upper room. And so we went upstairs to the upper room, and the whole church was there. The entire church went upstairs <laughs> and prayed with these young college students that had come, and they were doing these silly uh, Charlie Brown skits. And at the end, they share the gospel. It was the goofiest thing. We're all watching like, like and they had the nerve and the, the, the audacity to move the big wooden pulpit that nobody ever touched that. And they picked it up and they moved it and they just had like this, like these, like these, you know, like these little skits. And it was just corny and it was goofy. And at the end, they, someone shared the gospel and we were all upstairs. And I remember from that point on thinking like, reading and, and just and, and I, having this hunger for God and no Bible. And I don't know why we were in a church where you had to work to get your Bible. We had to learn all these memory verses to get, to learn, to get your first Bible. So we learned all these memory verses. And, and I remember the day when they gave us our Bibles, the, 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 the pastor, he was called the Reverend. He was the Reverend Spar, I think his name was, Spar. And uh, he had written in the beginning of everybody's, all the kids' Bibles, a Bible verse. And, you know, you know, these kids are reading these Bibles, you know, like blessings and it's going to be awesome. And God's son and, a sh- and a son and a shield upon you. And I'm thinking, what did he write to me? And so I opened up to the first page and this is the verse he gave you. Want to hear it? Here it is. Proverbs chapter 16 and read with this verse with me. Verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is great. Hallelujah. You know, it's like I'm a nine-year-old reading that verse thinking like, like what? I mean, what is like, you know, there's a way that seems right. And I just, it's one of those things that I just like, okay, well, whatever. Maybe, I don't know, just disconnected, you know. 
And I remember as a teenager just growing up and sometimes cracking my Bible open and reading that verse and thinking about that verse, that there's a way that seems right to the heart. And if you follow your heart and your desires of your heart, your fallen heart, in Ephesians 4.22, it's a path to destruction. It's a path unto destruction. You know, there's a way, you know, inside of every one of us, there is this self-determination, right? A way that I think is right. Okay, Jeremiah 10 verse 23 says that it's not in man to know his own way. It's not in man to know his own way. And in Proverbs 16, it says that the plans and the intents of, are, of a man are in, in, in himself, but it's really the Lord that guides the steps. There's so many verses about us making decisions about our lives. We live in a society today that like, you know what? And it's very Gnostic. It's very... Um, it's a very uh, new age type of philosophy where the truth is inside of you. You just need to discover inside of you, get in touch with your inner child or your inner person. And that person is undefiled and that little child is undefiled and you're gonna, it's going to lead you in authenticity and transparency and you're going to be, you know, you're going to you know, be all that you can be or, you know, find the inner you or do it, follow your heart. This is the society that we live in because... This is a society that cannot deliver the joy and the happiness. This is a system we live in that cannot deliver the joy and the, and the happiness that it's projecting at you. It's the sign on the side of the road that says jolly when you're on a, a road of just maniacs driving out of control because they are not happy. They're anxious, worried people, and they just got off the phone or got a bad text message from their significant other. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. We want the anointing in our life, don't we? we? We seek that. We go to churches. We go to services. We go to events. Oh, that's so anointed. The Holy Spirit came down, and we're all like, this is this great demonstration of the presence of God, and it's awesome. And we go out to our car, and then we, cut, you know, and then we just do whatever we do in the flesh because we think that's the anointing. The anointing here is defined and anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. It's why? It's because we loved righteousness and we hated the, the, the inner drive to carry out those desires outside of the will and the plan of God, outside of the guidelines of the word of God. I want to say this, is that God knows what, and I don't mean to sound trite and, and the Christian slogans, but you and I do not know what's best for ourselves. We don't. We really don't. We know what kind of coffee we like. We know what kind of colors we like. We know how we like to dress. We know how to, we, we like, just, we have so many preferences, but we, it is impossible for us to understand what is truly the best for us outside of what God who created us and what the word tells us. And therefore, every day we are faced with this decision Am I going to try to act out what I think is the best for me or am I going to surrender to God? An anointed person, an anointed person is a person, and I want to explain that word anointing in a second, but an anointed person is a person that just hates the things that God hates. You know, the old Puritans back in the day, and I don't have Puritan theology, but I, I just, there's some things that I really loved about their lifestyle in, in, in the... Um, in New England, back in the day, um, they would say this. It's like your spirituality is not based on how much you're doing for God or how much you love God. It really testifies by what you hate. How much do we hate? How, what do we not, how much do we hate in our life those things that are just broken and wicked, that corrupt and destroy 
and that caused so much heartache. The anointing in a person's life is when, is when I agree with God about hard things. Like when I read a Bible verse, it's like, oh, that disturbs me. That just disturbs me. I think we live in a culture now, a, a, a culture, a Christian culture worldwide. We see this where people treat church like a restaurant. You know, I, we, we have our restaurants that we like to go to. I've been with you to a bunch of you. I've been, we've been to some great restaurants and we've eaten some good food and, and awesome stuff. But if we don't like, if we don't like the service, if we don't like the, 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 um, the waiter, um, we just become so Christ-like, don't we? <laughs> I mean that in a sarcastic way. We, there's this aspect of our flesh that just comes out and says, I'm going to give that guy 50 cents. Or we, just, we just turn into something that is so un-Christ-like. But we, we go to a restaurant, and here's somebody, somebody said it this way. And I know I'm all over the place here a little bit, but Richard, Richard Wormbrandt, I don't know if you've heard that name, uh, just a, uh, a Romanian pastor that was in jail for 14 years because of his faith under the communist system in Romania, came out of prison, could hardly walk because his feet were so beaten. Uh, and he was, you know, he had marks all over his body. And one of his main concerns was, did I love my prison? Did I love my captors the way Christ would? That was what he was really concerned about. And he was with a group of American pastors at a conference, and um, they were at a restaurant, and um, most of their food came, all their food came out except for Richard Wormbrandt's food. And he was the main speaker. He was this amazing guy. He had just a very challenging message. And he sat there, he had no food, and the pastor next to him had a really nice steak. So Richard Wormbrandt takes his knife and fork, reaches over, and just cuts himself a piece of the steak off and just kind of helps himself. And the pastor just got so like, he got so like annoyed. He was just like, I can't believe you did that. And he was like, he was just so upset that, that this other pastor would help himself to his meal without even asking. And Richard turned to him and said, you're just a child. You're just a baby. You know why? Because God addresses the very depths of us, our spirituality, spirituality and the very depths of us in the smallest little things. We look at churches, it's so easy to look at a church as a restaurant where we go to a church and we just judge church, we judge churches and we're like, if we don't like something or if there's something that just is a little abrasive or rubs me the wrong way, then it's like, hey, there's, there's another one down the street and there is, this is Texas. If you don't like this church, you can go to that church over there. It's like H-E-B, it's like Costco. And I'm not talking about our church, I'm just talking about What's really been kind of just stirring in my heart the last few days is that we as, a, as we as Christians think that we can just live in what we think is the right thing to do, how we feel is what is right. And we, we walk around like my opinion is like my opinion is, the big, is, is bigger than the word of God in certain circumstances. For example, like, you know, and I want to talk about this tomorrow, like the three, like behind every sin, there's a lie. And, and there's three major lies that, that, that leads us into sin. And one of them is, is that I have a need in my life and I ha- it's a necessity and it's my right to fulfill that because it's a need and I'm not getting fulfilled in that need. And that could be in marriage, that can be in a relationship, that can be in friendship. And it's like, I have the right to do that because I've been wronged. And I have the right to go out and to do something that I think is right for myself. But guess what? That always leads to death. Let me just get a little bit more specific here. You know, 
Christmas. Let's go back to Christmas for a second. Um, when we think of Christmas, we hear this word joy a lot, right? Do you hear the word joy a lot? Joy to the world, joy. I mean, okay, anything else? Any other joy-related words that we can think of to Christmas? Like, uh, And this afternoon, I tried to go through the Bible piece, right? I went through the, I went through the, the Christmas story this morning, and I went through the prophetic prophecies of Christ's coming. And I really tried to find where this word joy is coupled with the coming of Christ as a baby. Um, I really didn't find much. And I was a little surprised because you think of, you think, you see this word joy everywhere. Joy, peace, jolly, and all these things. And you don't, I, I don't really see it. And when you look at the Christmas story, the word... No, that's good. No, no, Isaiah 9. When we look at the birth of Christ, when we look at the birth of Christ in the manger, that's not a very joyous event. I mean, when we think of a word, what's the word that can kind of um, describe that situation? I think a word hardship would be a better word to describe what was going on. No place, to ha- no place in the inn. I mean, I don't know how many women in this room have given birth, but try giving birth in a, man- in, 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 not in a manger, but in a barn. Okay, there's no room, and, and there's no room to have. And they were on the run. They were, uh, they were, they were, uh, there was no certain place for them to be. And here's a woman giving birth, and here is God's plan for salvation. Uh, centuries of just prophecy and, and like PR work on the, on the part of the kingdom of God. Yet when Jesus is born, nobody shows up. It's like the big launch, Right? the big launch of the savior of the world and nobody shows up. And this child, this little child is born in humility and in brokenness and like nobody's there. And it's just these animals in a dirty place. And then you have these people that are not even Jews that come from the East that are like considered like, Hey, these are not great people. These are Persians. And uh, you know, you know, and they're not even believers in, in God, but they're, they're star worshipers and they show up. It's like the birth of Christ doesn't describe to me a very joyous, amazing scenario, yet this is the secret and the wisdom of God. It's so easy for us to make judgments about the work of God, the church, the kingdom of God, based on what we can see, taste, touch, and feel. And that's not how God works. Some of the greatest movements of God in your life happen when you don't even notice it or when you don't have any feeling about it. Does that make sense? You and I may not feel joy, but there's an amazing, incredible, happy things happening in your life. You may not feel much, but don't, don't associate and don't, um, don't examine your life based on how you feel. Um, don't try to understand when you're walking on the water uh, your world in three-dimensional physics because your, your, your life and my life and our lives is a life, just a miraculous life. And so joy is not something that's biblically associated with the first Christmas story. Hardship is a better word. Christmas is interesting, okay? And I'm not one of these anti-Christmas tree guys, you know, like don't have a Christmas tree in your house and don't hang lights and don't do candles. But do you know something that's really interesting is that what has happened with Christmas is it is one of these cultural things that projects things on people that, that we don't have outside of Jesus Christ. Christmas was not celebrated or recognized by the church until 1870 in the United States. Did you know that? Did you guys know that? 
Okay, Christmas was a pagan holiday uh, starting in the fourth century, no, uh, yeah, fourth century AD, and it was a celebration, it was this crazy demonic celebration called Saturnia. And if you read it, if Google Saturnia, just be ready you know, for some graphic stuff to read. It was worse than Halloween, okay? It was worse than Halloween. It was just basically, I don't know, I didn't see the movie, but I heard about it. In 2013, a movie came out called The Purge. And it was just like for 24 hours, everybody could do what they wanted to do for 24 hours and actually even kill people if they wanted to. That was this day of Saturnia. It was like the king would take off his crown and then they would set up this other guy and put a crown on him that was like sometimes a slave or just some other random guy, and they would claim him to be God for this time of the, of the Feast of Saturnia. And this was on the 25th of, of December. And I'm not saying that, hey, we can't celebrate Christmas, but I'm just saying that like, the world has a, a definition of things that is so off and, it, and is so separated from the way God thinks and the way God is that, that um, when we begin to dig a little bit, it's just really amazing to see what happens. And the church resisted this. The Puritans in, in the 1700s and the early 1800s, they resisted this. It was like how we treat today Halloween. Um, Christians would be at home. They'd be like working and they'd be cooking or whatever. They'd be doing housework. It was something that they were not, they were not engaging in. Let me, uh, and there's just a lot of other things like the word Mary. Um, this was like, these are words that, you know, in the 1700s, the word Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, referred to just an X-rated graphic thing. What's <laughs> just going on? I mean, it's the word that they used to describe craziness. During this time of this Feast of Saturnia, it was so bad that people, um, that people um, historically write about it that, that it was just a time of un- unbelievable restraint. And the word Mary was used to describe it. Um, what am I saying? We can't celebrate Christmas? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that when the world tries to project to somebody freedom, joy, peace, fulfillment, satisfaction, it always gets it wrong and it always ends in confusion. It ends in chaos because we don't know, society does not know what is best for us. You know, um, it, um, and I just think as a Christian, as a Christian, let's just be like practical here for a minute. As a Christian, God gives us God gives us a spirit of truth in uh, John chapter 14. It's not a spirit of the world. We have a different spirit. It's a spirit that sometimes you feel a little separated, a little lonely. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like even in a Christian culture, you just feel like, why am I the only one that thinks like this? That purity matters. It's a single person. Like, like I'm not going to give place to, you know, and, I, and I'm preaching here to the choir, you know. I mean, you guys that are in the room, you guys are just amazing. But I'm just saying that the world... That world hates your purity because it sees the purity and the mental health that you have as a pure person. I read an article last night that during this whole COVID time, the most healthy people, mentally healthy people, are churchgoers. People that go to a church, that have a, a church that they are part of and that they engage in. Because they, are, they have community, they have support, they have a prayer support, they have friendship, they have encouragement, and they have a place to go to be encouraged. Um, the world does not know, the world does not, the world cannot tell us and cannot help us and cannot project to us what, what we truly need. And I just think that sometimes, you know, there's going to be opportunities for us to really take, um, make decisions 
to go in a direction where we think, I'm going to do this because I feel that this is right. Never make decisions based on what you feel is right. Your heart does not know. Our heart, and Jeremiah 17, verse 11, is wicked. It's like it's fallen. It's like, you know, it's, it has no idea what's the best for it. That it's the depths of our heart are just unknowable in its level of brokenness and wickedness and, and deceit and just waiting to take advantage. I know this is kind of a gloomy message for Christmas, but I want to I wanna wrap it up with something positive. But first, I just want to say this, is that as a Christian, we have a different spirit. Okay, you got a different spirit. You're a different spirit. Okay, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody proposes something to you to, to challenge you, to, to compromise your convictions. And guess what? It's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to come at you, um, not because, and you're going to feel like when this happens, you're going to feel like the minority. You're going to feel like, you know, I'm the only person that has this conviction about, you know, purity or, you know, I'm not going to just sell myself out. No, the devil sees that and it intimidates him. Your godliness, your walk of faith, your decisions that you make because of convictions in your life intimidates the, the, the devil. For example, remember David and Goliath? I'm going to finish up here in the next five minutes. Remember David and Goliath? David gets up. He's this little boy, you know, and he's got some, he's got some, he's got a, he's got some stones and maybe a stick. That's what Goliath said. And he, he approaches Goliath. Goliath's got the latest, greatest equipment, you know, the killing equipment, you know, and he was a killing machine. And he had, he, he had an entire nation in fear. One man, an entire nation in fear. An entire nation, the nation of God, Israel. And he and, he, he, he and his, he was, the, he was the symbol, he was the face of intimidation. And he comes up and David walks up and guess what? You know what, what really speaks to me in a deep way about this, about this story is that David approaches Goliath and what does Goliath do? Do you guys remember what he does? Remember what he says? It's unbelievable. He says, who am I, a dog? What am I, a dog that you would come to me with stones? And like, Goliath was insulted. He was insulted by the simple faith that David had, the simple purity that he had as a a young man of God, getting ready for God's exciting plan for his life. And he was intimidated. I was thinking this afternoon that remember the, the Hebrew boys that didn't bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar? The entire nation bowed at just four boys. And, you know, I remember the Bible pictures. You know, you have all the people, you know, all masses of people, and everybody's bowed, and then you have these four boys standing. I don't know if it was exactly like that. It could have been like this, that the four boys are in their house, and they choose not to get on their knees at that specific time when they were supposed to. And somebody finds out that they're not doing it. The minority of you, of us, that choose uprightness of heart and righteousness are such a threat to the devil. Why? Because what we have is an anointing. It's anointing of joy. It's an anointing of gladness. And that joy and gladness does not come until we start making steps and we make hard decisions for our own personal value. And that's why we don't sell our bodies out to people. That's why we don't make decisions that are contrary to the, to the word of God that are such a bad testimony. And it's like, you know, am I picking on people? No, I'm not. But I'm just saying that sometimes we... Can we can buy something, we can believe something that is so far less than what God has for us. And we're going after something that we think is right in our life and it always ends in destruction. And as a believer, as a person who is born again, and you know something, I'm, I'm going to be the guy in this room that's going to probably be the most 
convicted and persuaded person about eternal security than anyone in this room. I don't know. I'm just saying that. I believe that if you're saved and you're born again and you're saved, that, that you've got the Holy Spirit in you and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption and that that is not going anywhere. And that's not something that no man can take up from you and I in John 10, 28, that we are born again. And that, okay, that's, that's me. That's my theology. But I want to also say this, that Galatians chapter 5 says this, and I know that that's abused. I know that that type of teaching can be abused. But Galatians 5.18 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immoral, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, Paul says to the Galatians, I warn you. And Galatians is an amazing chapter. It's an amazing book about like grace and like, it's awesome. And then he says, I warn you that they that do such things. And the way this is written in the Greek is they that make this a practice of their lifestyle. And there's no brokenness and there's no conviction. And there's no like, because we all are going to fall in this stuff. I don't know what your timeline is. And, and I'm, I'm for sure not the holy guy in the room. But I'm saying that there's going to be times when we fall down. But you know something? When we fall down, don't you sense that conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, get up, get going, go forward. There's so much grip. Press on to the, to the high mark of the calling of Christ and put those things behind you. Those, those, because those things are the former things. That's not you. The, the, the former conversation in Ephesians 4 verse 22 that is no longer us. But now we are pressing forward because we're putting on Christ. But I think that someone who can just someone who can just be so at ease living in, 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 just in, in a place of just outside of the testimony of the word of God, there's something there that, like if I can do that, I'm going to say this to myself, if I can live like that on a consistent basis and not, get, not sense the chastisement of the Lord, not get, not get corrected by the word of God and, and sense no conviction of my life, and just be at ease in it, I don't know, am I even saved? Like, am I even born again, okay? Like, if I'm born again, and if I'm saved, and I have the Holy Spirit inside of me that's convicting me, that's leading me into righteousness, and leading me out of all of this folly and foolishness. And that's why Christians, Christians in, the, in the first century were described by... Christians of the first of the first century, he said that they were sexually pure, and they did not give themselves over to the worship of Christ. And he said that's really strange. And for that, was such a strange thing. We're different, We're different, and and this Christmas for us is different. And um, we live in a world with just so many weird paradoxes, and the world projects at you what's supposed to make you happy. And guess what? We've been there. We've been there. We go after it. We're not happy. We either want more or we're just more destroyed. Okay, right? Am I, you know, am I, amen or not, right? We go after it and it's just, you know, we look at, you know, and then we just look at the opportunity and we just, there's lots of disrespect and a lot of, a lot of regret. And I'm just saying that you and I, we have something We have Christ in us. We are a new creation. Let's make no provision for the flesh. And let's encourage each other and, and people that may be fighting, that are wrestling with just getting overcome with sin. We don't judge people. You know, sometimes people say, well, you guys are just a bunch of, you know, you just judge everybody. Well, we don't. The word for judge and the word for discernment in the Greek are the same word. One, 
One judging means is that I come to a conclusion, I see something that's going on in someone's life, and I say, hey, that's wrong, and then I just beat on them. I just beat them up with, with like religious religiosity and say, you know, you're so bad, not even taking into consideration that I myself tomorrow could be guilty of the very same thing. Discernment means is that I see what's going on, I understand that this is broken, this is off, and then I rush in with the attitude like, let's reconcile this person. Let's just get in there and let's just administer the, the word and administer encouragement and exhortation. And let's just grab these people and grab this situation and pull them out and just love on them and say, look, God's got so much more for you. And I had a hard conversation this week in the last couple of weeks with, with a situation. And, and I'm just sharing my heart with you guys that like this world, don't, don't believe the world. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we get overcome like, like, you know, the deceitful desires in Ephesians 4.22 get the better part of us. And we kind of look at the world and we say, maybe, just maybe. And then we get out there and it's just like, oh, it's just, it's a scam. You ever feel scammed by the world? Like a, you feel scammed. I'm going to finish with that. The system wants to scam because it wants something. It, Proverbs 6, it says, a strange woman looks at the, at, at, the, at, a pure, at the purity of a person's life and it looks at it as bread that it and, and it wants to take this bread and i don't know i can't imagine it but there is an evil in the world that if it sees something pure it wants to destroy it and that's what we're dealing with we're dealing with that it wants to take a holy sacred christmas morning that we see written in the bible and make it into something weird and just just um, debauchery and just absolute nonsense but we as believers, and I guess this is the one point I want us to take away from this, and I'm speaking normally, normal, uh, longer than I normally do. If we can take one thing away from this is that if we really want to experience joy and happiness and anointing in our life, let's walk uprightly. Let's just say no to the devil. Let's say to no, no to our flesh. And let's just say no to the world system that's always trying to brainwash us with stuff that's trash. Because you know what it wants? It's just upset that there's this one there's this one, like, there's the four Hebrew boys, and they, it, just irks, it just irks them. Like, they're not bowing. He's got the whole nation, and Nebuchadnezzar is just worried about four guys. Why? Because that's evil, and that's just the system that we live in. And so, like, I'm happy in my life. Not that I'm better than everybody else. I'm just happy because I can walk in the truth. And I was talking to Robert, um, and he's not here tonight, but I was talking to him. And, and he just quoted this verse, 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, that it just talked about receiving the love of the truth. And just let the Bible love you. When you open the Bible, just let it love you. You know, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you read about wisdom. You know, there's, this, there's, this, there's these two contrasting figures who have the whole book of Proverbs. One is a strange woman that is just hunting the precious life and wants to eat it like a piece of bread and then wipe her mouth like nothing happened. And then there's wisdom. That is this beautiful, like, incredible woman that's on the side of the street crying out to the simple ones, saying, come to me, you simple ones, and I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you knowledge. I'll give you experience. And I'll give you a relationship that you could never, ever, never, ever find anywhere else. And that is, and that we sang that song tonight. I love that. Just being ravished by the love of God. Let, the, let, let truth ravish you and let it possess you and take you and, and surrender. And then tomorrow I want to just do the second part of this message, which will be, I think, very encouraging for us because we're going to just talk about how, how temptation comes and how we can overcome temptation by surrender. Amen.
So any questions, any comments about what we shared here tonight? Um, we were talking about twisting.